Amen. What's up, Keystone fam? How are we? Good to see you. I'm glad you are here. We're going to be in Hebrews 11, but I just want to tag on to what uh, Randy said. There's this level of that building that has been a four-year project. It feels like forever for some of us who've been on this. And there really is raising of money, construction, plans, all of those things are so important. But you need to know this, like what gets the staff, the elders excited is not a building. It's how God might use a building in the decades to come in this city. Every step of that building has been a step of faith. It's not been careless hopes and dreams, but it's been convinced by the word of God, by his spirit, that that's where we should go. And so it is so fun to take, to see steps of faith and to see that real thing in action. And so keep going along with us. You, many of you in this room have given so sacrificially to make that happen. So keep coming with us in that vision. Um, Hebrews 11 is about faith. Randy just told you that. In fact, if you're a Bible student, you may have called it the Hall of Faith because it's kind of a famous passage in the New Testament that highlights the faith of so many people. And you need to know this. Like this, even this morning, I'm like, I, I feel almost insecure to preach this text because there's no way that I can do justice to all that's going on in there. And in fact, um, we had a couple options when we came to Hebrews 11. It's so, such a seminal piece of the New Testament that we could have either said, hey, what we're gonna do is take each character and we're gonna spend a week on each character. And if we would have done that, it would have been a 20 plus week sermon series, okay? That would have been awesome, but the reality is, is that the book of Hebrews is actually one sermon and it's when it was written. And so kind of he's done all this theological work and now he's gonna use examples from the Old Testament of how they lived by faith and not by sacrifice. And so it's kind of in one sermon. So we wanna do that today. And so what my goal this morning is, is to try to give a working definition of faith and then we're gonna pull some principles out of the book by using examples, I keep saying book, in the chapter that will be an encouragement to you. But you need to know this. There is way more in Hebrews 11 than anyone can solve in a 35-minute sermon. Can you believe they only give me 35 minutes to preach? Give me a break. Um, but there's way more. So here's what we, we have a resource for you because we want you to press in this. So if you look up on the screen, what we've done is this week we took um, every person that's mentioned in Hebrews 11. There's, there's like the verse in Hebrews 11, it's the person then we said what the action that they did. And then the last section is where you can read about that in the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, I hope you listen this morning, but I hope even more that you will go grab this. We're going to make it available at the end of service. We'll send it out via social and all that sort of stuff so you can grab a hold of it, but that you'll spend some time and do justice to what's happening in Hebrews 11 because there's so much for us to glean from it. So, we're going to jump in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read the first three verses and we're going to get a working definition of faith. But before I read, I want to give you a definition. Some of you note takers, this is your chance to pull out your pen and start writing. So this is what is faith? Let me give you a definition. Faith is action based on the character and promises of God. Faith is action based on the character and promise of God. Here's what, they re, what we see about faith. It always starts with internal trust, but it must come out with, eternal, with external action. And the reason we have the ability to do that is because we're convinced 
by the word of God that shows his character and his promises and we're able to move in that direction. So let's read Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll start unpacking some of these things as we move along. This is verse 11, chapter 11, verse one. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen. For by this, our ancestors were approved. He's moving in and he's gone from the sacrificial system and he's saying all of that is gone and actually it was their faith in the coming Messiah. It was what saved him, saved them and then he's gonna start listing it out. But listen to what it says about faith. Faith is, it's a reality. Other translations of the scripture says it's the assurance of what is hoped for. We have this hope and it's our assurance. Faith is that substance, that assurance, that reality of what we hope for is really gonna happen. And it's also the proof of what is not seen. We cannot see God. But our faith is the proof for what we cannot see. We believe by faith. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the our assurance of what is hoped for and the proof of what is seen. In a couple months, me and another elder are uh, gonna be traveling to Japan. Uh, I'm super excited about this. We have some new missionaries that we are engaged with and uh, supporting and learning from, and we're gonna go support them and see the work on the ground, but we're also kind of going to scope the whole country to see the work of God that he might be calling Keystone to be a part of. And you're like, well, isn't that convenient, Brent? You get to go to a place that has incredible food because I like sushi. And here's what you know, that's a benefit for sure, but here's what you probably didn't know because I've studied missions my whole life and I was unaware of this fact. Japan is the second, the Japanese people is the second largest unreached people group on the planet Earth. Less than 1% of Japanese people are Christians, okay? Take it a little bit further. Tokyo is 38 million people. I need you to get your mind around that, Iowans. That's 12.6 of the population of Iowa in one city. 38 million people. I was talking to a missionary from Tokyo, he lives in Tokyo this week, and he said, I'm gonna read this right. It's the largest concentration of lostness in the history of the world. Tokyo is the largest city in the world, 38 million people. It's the largest concentration because less than 1% are Christian. There's a lot of work to do in Japan. So we're going to see that. Sorry, that's just a little vision update. But here's what's happening. When we go to, uh, to Japan and we walk through immigration, many of you have done this if you've uh, traveled, I'm gonna walk up and I'm gonna try to get in their country. And there's always a guy behind a glass and they always look really mean. <laughs> and they're gonna say, basically be this, we want the assurance that you can come into this country. Because immigration is a thing. People try to cross borders, all kinds of problems can happen. They want reality that I can be there and I should be there. And beyond that, they're gonna require some proof. And so I'm gonna hand them this, my passport, okay? My passport, they're gonna pick it out, they're gonna open it to the second page and make sure that my picture is right. And because we live in a nefarious world, they're actually gonna then take it, they're gonna scan it, and there's an RFID microchip in this. You can see it because of that little picture on your passport. And they're gonna make sure that the RFID information matches what's in this because they're not gonna let me into the country unless I am who I say I am and I have proof that I am who I say I am. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. Faith 
in our relationship with God is like a passport. And it's really two areas that we must listen and we must press into. There's two areas of our faith that really matter this morning, and we'll be talking about both of them. The first one is, is that we must enter into a relationship with, with God by faith. We can have no relationship without, with God without faith. This is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Many of you have this passage memorized. For you are saved by grace, finish it with me, through, through faith. We're saved. We enter into a relationship with God by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You can't figure this out for yourselves. You can't be good enough. You can't like, do a dance and really impress God. The only way to have a relationship with God is through faith. It's really important. It's what we call salvation. There's no way to have a relationship with God outside of that. Next is that we also live. Once we've entered into the kingdom of God by faith, we also are required to live by faith. We start our life with God by faith, but we also must walk in it. Galatians 2.20 explains it this way. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's entering into the relationship through faith. But then listen to what it says. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have to enter in because we've died to ourselves, but also now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so our lives as believers, not only do we enter through faith, we also must live by faith and because faith is an action based on the character and promises of God. And I can't emphasize this enough because I want you to turn to verse six. Maybe you've heard this, but this is what verse six says of why it's so important that we get this. Verse six says this. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the reason we're talking about in entering into a relationship with God, salvation, and also living by faith is because if you don't have it, it's impossible to please God. And he kind of gives this three-ingredient recipe of how that should look in our lives. Uh, three pieces here in the verse 6. Number one is you got to draw near to God. you got to draw near to God. Number two, you got to believe that he exists. And number three, believe he rewards those who seek him. And I'm going to put that believe those, believe that he exists and you seek him together, that you're willing to act, that you're willing to act. That's not earth shattering preaching this morning. You could probably say, yeah, that's, a, that's the ingredients of faith. In fact, most of you not only could maybe tell me that, but it's, very few of you are going to disagree with that. But here's the problem of believers. Before we get into the principles, I think it's really good we're honest with. Even though those are three, three parts of the recipe of faith, most of us live life by only picking two and feeling really good about ourselves. Let me explain what I mean. It's very common for Christian, Christians and Christianity at large to draw near to God. We come to church. We're involved in religious activities. We also have a high belief, but never act. Never act. So many Christians go to church have a few memory verses in their pocket, but then do not live it out. And I'm not pointing at the rest of the people around outside this building. I'm pointing at myself. 
Let me tell you how that works this way. Yesterday, this was a, this was a huge temptation for me. Yesterday, I had to buy a car. And I don't know if you're car people, God bless you. I'm like, that's utilitarian. It costs a lot of money and I hate it. Somebody with me on that? And I had to buy it on Facebook, which is scary, right? So I'm, I'm searching. I finally feel really good about the car. We're buying the car uh, for my daughter. And so we get, we're going to sign the, 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 um, the bill of sale. And the lady selling it to me said this. She said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave the price that we paid blank. And you can fill it in with whatever you want. And I think that would really help you when you go to pay your taxes and get your tags. And I thought to myself, well, that's awesome. And then I thought, wait, I'm a pastor. <laughs> that's not good. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Listen, those types of temptations are in front of our faces every day. And I should have that thing if I'm a pastor and I better be a man of integrity. But so should you if you're a child of God. And there's so many areas in our life that we draw near to God. We know some verses, but man, we just, ah, God, I know. Like, let your yes be yes, your nobody nor. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. We know that, but I'm going to do this. That is picking too. It's not living by faith. Move beyond that. Some of us believe he exists. Then we pick the two. We believe he exists and we act. We do some things but we never draw near to him to know his word. Let me tell you how I know that one. I was in high school once. I think this is probably true in my adult life, but I know it was true in high school. Here was my method with God. God, I believe you exist, and I'm gonna do what I know about you, but I'm gonna position my life to know nothing else of the scripture so I don't have to do it. I had this fear in my life that God, if I truly follow you, you're gonna call me to be a missionary in Africa, so I'm not gonna draw near. <laughs> I'm gonna know like this, like Sunday school answers, the Sunday school level of the Bible, but I'm not gonna draw near because I don't wanna know. And what the scriptures are saying, you gotta draw near, you gotta believe that he exists, and you got to believe that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, you gotta act. Faith is action based on the character and promises of God. So now what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump through and I'm gonna give you six principles that are tied to this whole section. There's 40 verses and I'm telling you, my biggest hope is you don't just get out of Hebrews 11 what I've preached this morning, but you take it home this week and play with it and read it and go back and look at the stories in the Old Testament. But I wanna give you six lessons after reading this over and over and over this week that I think will be helpful for you. Um, number one. Faith requires action. Faith requires action. I'm gonna read some passages. They're all very active. Everybody making choices. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Verse seven, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, he built an ark to deliver his family. Hebrews 11.8, and by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. And there's a lot about Moses in Hebrews 11. Look at all this, the things that Moses put into action. By faith, Moses, after he was born, by the way, this was his parents' faith, not his faith, was hidden by his parents. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. Verse 28, by faith, he instituted the Passover. Verse 29, by faith, they crossed the Red Seas. 
And then Hebrews 11.30, and by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. Can you imagine that? Talk about the faith of a nation. Here's your job, Israel. Go march seven consecutive days around a city one day, seven days. On the seventh day, do it seven times. Blow a trumpet, you're gonna be victorious. That requires faith. They did it. And God answered. Faith is action based on the character and promises of God. It just is. Faith has to go from somewhere in our brain and in our heart to actually acting it out and trusting. And I want to say this in the nicest possible way because 21st century America is a little soft. If there is no action in your life based on the word of God, you are not pleasing God. It requires action. It's not just holding a little party in your brain of like, yeah, that's kind of cool, God. Ah, it's cool. It actually requires action. This is not just what the writer of Hebrews says. Remember all the warning passages of people who weren't living it? This is also in James, James 2.26. Again, some of you know this passage. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. If you have faith and it never works itself in action, it ain't faith. It has to work itself out in faction. Number two, faith is rewarded by God. Again, I want to read from all the passage, all, lots of the verses here. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. But he was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Enoch fled from earth. We don't know all what happened in that story, but he was approved by God, and God said, I'm taking you out of here. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith they crossed the Red Sea, though they were on though they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. The people of Israel took a step of faith, and God saved them and destroyed their enemies. Eleven thirty one. By faith Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Here Rahab. She does the work of God and she didn't perish like the rest of the people in Jericho. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. They got, the people of Israel got a victory in battle because they stepped and did what God said. This is the reality. Throughout all of Hebrews 11, throughout all of scripture, is God rewards faith. This isn't that far. I think of like the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking, says, he's talking to his disciples about prayer and he says, which of you, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Which one of you? You wouldn't. And he's like, and you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to his children? Man, God rewards his children. There's so many things in my life, blessings in my life, that are just rewards of small faith. Now, this is a beautiful, powerful principle. Some people have used it to be like, well, then I'm just gonna get a lot of rewards from God. I would just encourage you to check your motivation. Let me explain what I mean. Um, I have teenage children. I used to have toddlers. When, I was a, when my kids were toddlers and I would walk in the house, the house would erupt, daddy's home! And they would all come running and we would all wrestle and it was really loud and a lot of fun. Now when I come home, I have teenagers. And I'm like, 
Hey guys, I'm home. Crickets. <laughs> Nothing. Anybody home? Hi. <laughs> now, here's when I know something's up. When I walk in the door and I'm like, hey guys, I'm home. And one of my kids comes and meets me. Dad, how was your day? What are our plans tonight? I'm like, what do you want? I know we got a problem here, right? I'm just telling you, some of us approach God for the reward and not for God. And we must Man, the goal is not the reward. The goal is God. But if we seek him by faith, doing what he says, he will reward those. And some of you are like, that's a lie, Brent Minner, because I've been faithful to God and I've got no reward. I've got the third point. The reward of faith is not always now. It's not always now. Sometimes it's an eternity to come. Abraham and Sarah were promised that they'd have a child. They were promised that he would make a nation, huge nation, more, children, more, more heirs than the stars could be counted. And he barely saw an heir, and he never saw the full nation. But look what it says in verse 13, right after he's explaining Abraham. It says, these all died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. They recognized the place that they were at, but they said, God, I'm believing that what you said is true, and I'm going to live that way. In fact, skip all the way down to verse 39 at the very end of the chapter. After it's listed everybody, look what's happening for the people in this book or in this chapter and where their reward was coming from. Verse 39 says, all these were approved through their faith. This is really important in the context of Hebrews. They were not approved by their sacrifices. They were not approved by following the law. They were approved by their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Their faith was in a coming Messiah that was to come. They never saw it in their life. And since God had provided something better, this whole series is called Jesus is Better, he had provided Jesus for us so they would not be made perfect without us. What was promised was the Messiah and they never saw it, but they never broke faith that it was happening. And therefore, they receive the eternal reward of salvation for their souls. So oftentimes, guys, your faith will be rewarded and sometimes it's in the here and now and it's obvious, God, thank you for that. But sometimes we will not receive the reward of faith until eternity comes. Number four, faith produces extraordinary miracles in the lives of ordinary people. This book, this chapter is called The Hall of Faith. It's a who's who of Jewish people from the Old Testament. When we read it, we're like, man, they crossed the Red Sea. Like, they crushed a city. They believed even against hard circumstances. And we often forget that these were ordinary people who God picked up, and often they had very shady backgrounds. Abraham and Sarah. They follow God, but you know what Abraham did? In order to save his own life, he gave his wife to another king because he was scared. 
He wanted the, the promise of God so much that uh, Sarah and Abraham had made a deal with uh, their handmaiden to have a child because they wanted the heir so much. You look at Noah, who's listed in here, Genesis 9, he has a very embarrassing drunken experience after the ark. Rahab, it says in the scriptures, she was a prostitute. That's where she came from, but yet she had faith. And here's the reality. God uses no-name mess-ups. He just does, and I hope that that's encouraging to you. You go, Brent, I don't have any gifts that's gonna get me on a platform. I, I'm just a normal guy. I'm just a normal girl. I don't have much. And I would argue this morning that honestly, God mostly chooses to use no-name mess-ups. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm telling you, if you can trust in yourself, you probably will. And all these brothers and sisters, they make it into the hall of fame, not because of their prestige and their lineage, but because they were broken people who had faith in God. Number five, faith is a response to God and his word, not your desires and dreams. Oh, brother and sister, if I could get you to perk your ears up right now. Because the message of the culture we live in today is believe in yourself. You can do whatever you set your mind to. We don't know what to call it, so our culture calls it manifesting. Read a definition. Manifesting is making everything you want to feel and experience a reality via your thoughts, actions, beliefs, and emotions. If you can think it, you can do it. And all I'm trying to tell you is faith is not about you, it's about God. What does God's word say? There's so many of us living by faith of, oh God, I want this and I want that. And I'm, it's nothing maybe wrong with those things, but the object of your faith is not God and his word, but it's you and your pleasure. It's you and your insecurity. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is faith has the concerns of what God said and what God promised. God never promised you a spouse, kids. He never promised you a raise this year. He never promised you a better house. But here is what he promised. He promised that he would be with us. He promised us that if we would follow his word and what he says, that he would reward us. And he also promised us that if we didn't see it in this world, we would see it in the world to come. Brother and sister, follower of Christ, do not put your aim of faith on yourself but on the things of God. Number six, faith has positive and negative outcomes. I love how Hebrews, in the midst of claiming all these unbelievable things that have happened by faith, the hall of faith, Verse 1 through 35 are all incredibly positive things that happened because people believed in God. God told them this. They said, okay, and they put it in external actions, and they got it done. And God did incredible things, but he turns a little bit. Look at verse 36. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds 
and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. The result of their faith was a very negative outcome, which makes the reward, the eternal reward that we look for so much more powerful. Faith has consequences. If you follow Jesus at the level that the word of God teaches you, you're gonna have some tension. It's hard for me to call what happens in America persecution if you've been around the rest of the world. Most of our persecution is our feelings get hurt, not our lives are in danger. So I'm sorry, but it's not that bad. But there's a people that when they live out their faith, it's gonna be very difficult for them. One of my favorite genres of books to read is missionary biographies because it is so crystal clear for them that I was doing X, God called me to this place and usually that's an incredible leap of faith. And then to watch the story unfold and sometimes in small ways and sometimes in huge ways, God answers through the rest of their life. Me and Carrie, you're there this morning. We read, Isabel, Isabel Kuhn didn't know her, but we read a lot of her stuff this summer. Just telling the story of I had no clue how I was gonna get to the Isu people of China and it happened. <laughs> and God did unbelievable things. It turns out here, that this isn't just a principle here of Hebrews 11. I was thinking of Matthew 5, 10 through 12, right at the back end of the Beatitudes, this is what Jesus says. These are Jesus's words explaining what the Hebrews 11 is saying, same thing. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's like, listen, even if you go through difficulty by following me in faith, you will be rewarded. And if not on this earth, at a minimum in heaven. Faith has a positive and negative outcomes. My hope this morning I, is that you would be stirred. Kind of the questions I'm wondering is, what in your life can you only describe as faith? That the only reason you're doing what you're doing, saying what you're saying, the direction of your life is because you got a word from God and you know it's what he wants for you in your life. But it's often so easy to live in our own strength. But faith is action based on the character and promises of God. I want to give you this illustration. I was thinking about it this week. Uh, I have a friend who is a pilot. He's a long-term, long-time cornerstone leader. And uh, because of his, the way that we work together in the SALT Network, I've been around him quite often when he's flying, and I've gotten to fly with him in multiple different aircraft. 
and he's a really great teacher and he'll let you sit in the cockpit with him and learn some things. And it's super fascinating. So I've learned a few things uh, when we're flying. Number one is that there's two different rules when you're going up that you're gonna be, play, you're gonna be flying by. The first one is VFR, which is visual flight rules. When you go up, you're deciding, today we're flying VFR. Usually it's in a smaller plane. By the way, I'm not an aviation expert, so everything I'm telling you, I learned on Google. So just <laughs> take it for what it is. But I feel pretty good about it because I've seen it in action. Here's what VFR is. You're gonna go up and you're gonna navigate by everything that you can see. When you get up in the air, the rules that you're gonna fly are what you actually see. You're gonna navigate by landmarks, highways, bodies of water, and other planes. You can see a picture. This is actually a picture of me taking outside the window of one of the planes we're up in. And you can fly because you're not at an incredible altitude and you're gonna go by what you see on the ground. Now, this is so important. Don't miss this. This isn't about a plane. It's about what we're trying to see here. The rules of this is this. You can only use VFR if it's in very fair weather days. There's rules. You have to be able to see at least three miles. You, can, uh, you have to be a minimum of 500 feet below the clouds. You have to be, if there are clouds, you've got to pull away from them 2,000 feet to make sure you're safe. And the reason is, is because you're, if you can't see, you can't fly this way. Second type of flight, which is IFR, Instrument Flight Rules. I've seen it mostly in bigger planes, a more capable plane. But here's the idea, that you can fly solely on the instrument. The pilot has to be rated this way. And so this is, look at all that nonsense. But the reality is, is a pilot who is IFR rated can look at all of those things and make incredible decisions and never see out his window and he's good because he's got all the instruments that is needed. So because you're IFR, you can fly in the dark. You can fly, I've flown, we've taken off in major rainstorms because you know how to deal with it because you can read it on, on the dashes, everything that's going on. Everything that you can see, you can see in two places. Number one is the instrument panel, and number two, you're constantly talking back and forth to air traffic control because you're usually flying at altitudes where you can't see everything, they've gotta give you clearance. And so an IFR pilot doesn't even need to really see outside because they've got all their gauges, their instruments, and they also have air traffic control telling them what to do. You know this, I'm not telling you, trying to give you some aviation history this morning. <laughs> I'm trying to land faith in your life. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. I know a lot of Christians that if they can see what God is asking them to do in their life, they'll obey. If they can visually see it, God, you're asking me to do this, great, I'm on board because I can see it. It's easy for me to make that decision. But all of a sudden, faith runs out when conditions get hard when it gets dark in life and you can't see what God is asking. You read something in scripture, I can't imagine forgiving that person. I can't imagine changing my sexual ethic based on your word of God. I can't imagine dealing with my finances the way your word says it, it's dark, therefore I'm no longer a part. And our faith is limited 
to what we can see. If we can see it, we'll do it. Oh, but then there's a whole other way to live. There's far fewer Christians. I know that some of you are in this room where you are instrument rated. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. The instruments this morning are the word of God. You can literally navigate all of life by knowing what is in this scripture. And then you don't have air traffic control. You have the spirit of God who come in and illuminates the word of God. And no matter how dark your life gets, no matter how hard the storms are coming against you, no matter how disorienting life is, you continue to move forward because you trust, you have faith. God, I know what you said. I'm going to live it out. Let me tell you why it matters. The journey of life is so disorienting and difficult. You are going to face some very dark seasons in your life. You're going to face some headwinds. You're going to face some storms that in your own strength, you're going to only want to do what you can see God's asking you to do. And what a Hebrews 11 is all about our brothers and sisters who said, I can't see it. I may never see it, but I am confident in what God has said. And I'm not just gonna say, I agree, Lord. I'm gonna agree in my soul and I'm gonna take steps of action because faith is action based on the character and promises of God. Would you pray with me? It makes me wonder this morning, is there somebody in this room who has never taken a step of faith and trusted Christ for the first time? But not only that, maybe some people in this room, you have taken that step of faith, but you know deep in your soul that your walk in faith in God is solely dependent on what you can see. And maybe hearing a little bit this morning and taking Hebrews 11 and pressing it in connection group and in your own life, God wants to stir and say, I can actually direct you in your life when there's darkness, when there's storms, and you can trust me. God, this morning, would you come and help us? Would you stir up faith in our souls, God? Would you give us the courage, the grace to believe you for the first time. God, would you give us the courage and grace to take steps of faith in so many myriads of our, so many areas of our life, God, that we would trust you even when we cannot see. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.